And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. This is the city. Sorry, I had, I, I, I had to. I had to. Welcome, everybody. We are live from the bunker. My name is Jason Hutt. I am the editor here at Sci-Fi for Me. Happy to have you along. We are broadcasting live to Odyssey, Facebook, and YouTube. And we're dipping into the noir a little bit today. Live chat is active. You can also leave a comment. If you are not with us live, if you're on replay, you are welcome to leave your thoughts. And we're also available on a number of different podcast platforms if you prefer to listen to the show instead of watch. But we do invite you to join us live Monday through Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern. Because sometimes we have some interesting conversations like the one we're going to have today. There is a new book that's coming out next week. It is called Beat the Devils, and in the batter's box, waiting to come on board, Mr. Josh Weiss, who is the author, debut novel. Welcome, sir. Thanks for having me, Jason. It's an honor to be here. Well, thanks for being here. I appreciate uh, you taking the time to talk to us, and and I got to say, I'm about halfway through the book. Uh, I've got my I've got my copy here. I'm about halfway through, and I could go in and start describing the book, but I might give something away. So why don't you why don't you give us the setup as far as what this book is about? Because it's set in an alternate uh, an alternate United States. So how about if you want to give us the Reader's Digest log line there, and then we'll go in from there. Sure. Um, so, like you said, it's set in an alternate version of the United States, um, picks up in July of 1958, uh, where Joseph McCarthy, a uh, famous uh, communist uh, hater, uh, is sitting in the White House. Um, and our story picks up with a LAPD homicide detective by the name of Morris Baker, and he comes across two dead bodies. Um, and the men are uh, two people you might have heard of, John Houston and Walter Cronkite. Um, and at the crime scene, he finds a note that has his name on it. It says Baker. Um, and then it's kind of a, like you said, don't want to give too much away, but then it's kind of a thrill ride to figure out what, who killed these men, why, why is his name showing up at the crime scene, and, and then, you know, kind of fleshing out this, this alternate world. Well, and it moves along at a fairly good clip uh, pace-wise. There's not, I, right now so far, I've not run across anything where I'm just like, okay, let's get on with it. I, it, it does move pretty well, and, I, and I'm... I'm impressed with that uh the i have i have one quibble and i'll get to that here in in a, in a little bit but the the overall story it plays out it's a crime thriller there's a there's a tw- a touch of noir you know chinatown french connection come to mind when you're when you're lo- looking at this but this is your first novel mm-hmm. before this and and i guess during all of this, you've been a contributor at various different publications, Forbes and Sci-Fi Wire for one. You've got an article out there on the art of the Batman book that's just come out. Right. It'll be out next month. Well, your article is out. Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> and I'm I'm looking at this track record, and now you've got this debut novel. What what caused the swerve? What What brought you from writing entertainment articles to... A full-blown novel right um well funnily enough this began the novel began uh before i started um writing entertainment articles um it began in the fall of 2015 or thereabouts i was still in college um and i was uh going to new york every other day i was getting on like buses at five in the morning to make an internship and just to keep myself from uh, kind of going crazy i decided to you know do something that would make me happy and, and, and kind of indulge my, my love as a writer. So I just started writing this book kind of as a, as a lark um, for myself and, and sharing the first few chapters with my mother. Um, and then, you know, it, it then it um, kind of stalled out like halfway through. 
And then once I graduated, I was working full time again, working some a job that was kind of um, sucking the soul out of me. And I needed something to as a little pick me up. And so I revisited and I said, all right, I'm going to finish this. And, yeah. and I didn't. So it was it, it was uh, like 2015. And then I came back to it in like late 2017. So at the risk of sounding like the old man in the room, you're you're not that old. And. It's, it's something that I, I kind of noticed about you. What, what triggered the decision to look at this time period? Because, you know, in 1958, the, the, the Red Scare, the Cold War, all of that stuff, you weren't around for that. So was what, was the, what was the impulse to, to go there? What was the impetus for that? Yeah, I mean, I've, you know, it's kind of a hackneyed to say, but people like to say I'm an old soul. I love old music and I love old things, you know, black and white movies and big band music. And, and that I'm just kind of fascinated with that the World War II era and the post-World War II era. Um, and my father is a big history buff. He loves that era as well. So it's something that um, has always just been uh, present when I was growing up. We just had, you know, bookcases stacked with history books about World War II and Hitler and, and the Nazis and all this stuff. And my father's father, my grandfather was a Holocaust survivor. And obviously uh, growing up Jewish and having a Holocaust survivor for a grandparent, you hearing those stories. Right. And um, that was kind of the seed of the idea for the book. You know, I wanted to tell my grandfather's story of survival in some way, but since I didn't really know him all that well, I didn't really have all the facts. I couldn't really write like a biography or something like that. Um, so that kind of just stuck with me. And then once I started writing this book, it just um, it just clicked, you know, why not combine the two ideas? So it's really just, I've just always been fascinated with history and how I love alternate history and I love how malleable, um, you know, we might not realize it at the time, but like in hindsight, how one little thing, one little event can change things so drastically. It's just fascinating sure. to me. So how much research has gone into the historical aspects? Because if you're going to change things, like Joseph McCarthy becoming president, Richard Nixon, yeah. vice president, that sort of thing. Uh, you've got to have a basis from which to work. So how much homework did you have to do for all of this in order to get your facts straight first and then change them? Right. I mean, a lot of it, at least for the first book, was very kind of stream of consciousness. It was um, writing and then, you know, saying, OK, well, what what actually happened here? And then, you know, going online and doing research and um Obviously, the, I'd say the biggest research was um, just trying to get uh, the California setting right, because I'm not from Los Angeles. I've never lived there. I've been there twice in my life. So it was just kind of a lot of uh, Google Maps, Google Street View, and and, um, and then mixing that with my imagination. So this obviously isn't uh, the Los Angeles, maybe that somebody who lives there their whole life might recognize, but it is kind of a romanticized version right. in the way that, you know, those old Hollywood films are, are romanticized versions of, of real life. Um, so it was really like about, okay, this, what would be cool? And then going back after I'd written, say, okay, what about this actually happened? What are, you know, what are some of the minutiae? Um, so yeah, it's, it's really like, you know, it's a novel. So a lot of it is fictionalized. A lot of it is just uh, poetic license, as they say. Well, and I notice it's, it's interesting to see certain real life people show up at various points in the book. Uh, in different roles than you would expect. And, you know, the, it it got me to the point where uh, when somebody would show up, I'm tempted to look them up and see, okay, is this a real person or is this, is this made up for the book? And I've, <laughs> I've come across a couple of them that were the one that were real people and some that were not. So it's, it's a good mix there. You keep me jumping there, Josh. But right. um, the... The uh, the the book starts with, like you said, the double homicide of John Houston and Walter Cronkite. Was there a particular reason why you chose those two to be your your victims? Yeah, I mean, um, obviously John Houston, big uh, is, is very obvious. It you know he wrote and directed one of the greatest film noirs of all time, The Maltese Falcon, and then several decades later, he was starred in one of the greatest film noirs of all time, which was Chinatown. So it just felt right. Um, he also directed a film called Beat the Devil with Humphrey Bogart in the 50s, um, from which this book's title is derived. So it just felt right to have him, this noir figure, um, kind of go from making noir films to kind of 
kicking one off in, in this reality. Um, and then Cronkite, um, you know, this, the book is obviously very much uh, interested in, in exploring truth and lies, you know, it's been, uh, you know, something we can certainly relate to over the last few years. Um, so I just figured, you know, if someone is going to be reporting the truth, who would it be in this timeline? And, you know, who better than Walter Cronkite, one of the most dependable newscasters of the, of the 20th century? Uh, you talk about it being relatable. There are going to be some people, obviously, on, on either side of the aisle who are going to look at this and are either going to praise it or condemn it because of various different things that they can read into it. Is that a concern for you at any point? Or was it intentional to make sure that people saw what they want to see? Or, or is that just happenstance? I'd say it's more happenstance. Um, it's just, you know, when I started writing it, a certain person was running for president or had announced their candidacy and it was kind of more of a joke at the time. And then as I was writing, things just started to, I started to see things manifested that I was writing in the news, in the headlines. And, and I've made I've joked um, to several people that it felt like I was like writing, you know, I had a magical laptop or something that, and now here we are, you know, Cold War 2.0. And like, it just feels insane that how much stuff has mirrored um, my book, which was not intentional in the slightest. And yeah. it's, it's kind of just happenstance and it's um, yeah, definitely unintentional. It's funny because I've had this conversation with Declan Finn, who's a, a writer out of New York as well. And he's in more of the supernatural side of things. And at one point he was saying, you know, I, I never intend to write things into reality, but you know, reality keeps following on the plots of my books. I need to stop writing books. And, it, you know, he makes the joke because, you know, how crazy are the circumstances nowadays? The, you know, that whole truth is stranger than fiction type of, of thing comes to mind. But are along those lines, since it's happenstance, you say, is there a concern that... Is there concern about blowback or on the opposite side, cancel culture or anything like that? Have you had any of those thoughts? Is, oh, I hope people like this. I hope people don't come after me or, or anything like that. I mean. Right. Um, I mean, I hope not. I, I, you know, cancel <laughs> culture didn't read. It's like, you know, it's a work of fiction and um, it's, you know, a work of sci-fi in a way. And, and, you know, it's been said many times that this genre is kind of a way to make the medicine go down a little better. It's a way to point the mirror up at society without society, you know, coming after you with the torches and pitchforks. But, right. um, you know, at the end of the day, it's just a work of fiction. You know, it's, you know, all, uh, like they say at the end of the movies, all uh, likenesses to pe persons living or dead is, you know, completely uh, unintentional. So it's not, you know, it's not, it's just kind of meant as a fun little what if exercise and, and not meant to kind of, um, uh, annoy or offend anyone. Now, if it does touch off uh, actual reasonable conversations, is that a side benefit for you? Then that's not a that's not a primary goal. Um, I mean, you know, it's always nice to have your work talked about um, and to spark conversation. Um, and you know, it's really I'm just hoping that you know it, it interests people. It gets people interested more in you know the Holocaust and learning more about you know, the psychology of, of coming out of the other side of something like that. And, um, you know, just emphasizing, you know, themes of, uh, like I said, truth and um, faith is obviously a big part of it. And it's really, you know, it's just about, you know, more about emphasizing, you know, the good qualities in life that we should all be embodying, like, you know, speaking out for those, you know, the disenfranchised groups and people, the downtrodden people who don't often get a voice. You mentioned your faith. Your your lead character here is Jewish. You've got an intersection point, which I think is really interesting, and I'm I, I I'm pretty comfortable with this not being giving anything, not giving anything away. Where uh, the the McCarthy uh, administration and everything that's going on in this particular timeline has associated both communism and uh, Judaism mm -hmm. because of the Rosenbergs. And, and I find that right. to be a really interesting inter and, and clever intersection point where you can sit there and say, well, the Rosenbergs were spies, 
not only were they communist sympathizers and working for the Soviet Union, but they're also Jewish, so let's make them bad guys too. And, and I think it's an interesting juxtaposition—excuse me—juxtaposition for those two. Um, was that a particular thing that you wanted to emphasize? Is is an anti-Semitic culture in addition to anti-communist? You know, how how are you marrying those two? How do you justify putting those together in your mind? Right. I mean, well, in a way, it's almost um, the way in which it's depicted in the book is almost meant to be like satirical, like it's so over the top, you know, um, you know, that, you know, the Rosenbergs uh, gave nuclear secrets, so secrets, secrets away to the USSR. And, and now every Jew is, you know, public enemy number one. Um, but also, it was also a big thing, not just the Rosenbergs, but just kind of uh, Jews in America were big uh, socialists, um, you know, uh, you know, the, the daily, uh, uh, the forward, I believe was a socialist newspaper it began as that. So just kind of, um, taking that history of, of Jews and socialism and communism and, you know, having this, uh, this regime under McCarthy kind of making that association with them and then having the Rosenbergs obviously kind of being the tipping point saying, yeah, like, Oh, look, we told you so like, yeah, Jews are bad. Yeah. Now that percolates under the base. It's, it's not, a primary driver of the story. I mean, it's there. Uh, mainly you've got your your main character, uh, Baker, reacting to that kind of environment, to that kind of, that kind of circumstance. On the crime thriller side of things, what other influences were you looking at? Because, you know, you've got the history aspect of it, but now, you, now you're doing a crime thriller. How do you make it feel like Dashiell Hammett, for example, or Mickey Splane, or any of those. Who, where, where were you looking for influence in terms of tone and style and and that sort of thing? Right. I mean, like you said, uh, Dashiell Hammett, Raymond Chandler, all those, all those great um, hard-boiled authors. Um, but honestly, I'm kind of a little more interested, less in in those classic authors and more in kind of the authors who have taken their style and their themes and and that genre and kind of reinterpreted it, um, like. Uh, you know, Michael Chabon, for instance, uh, the Yiddish Policeman's Union was a huge influence on me. Uh, and like I said, I love the alternate history genre. So just books, for some reason, noir and alternate history go together so well. And so, you know, like I said, Michael Chabon, um, Robert Harris, who did Fatherland, one of my favorite books. Um, Watchmen was a big one, especially mm-hmm. the Cold War kind of alternate um, setting. And so yeah, like so more like the neo noir, like like Blade Runner, Who Framed Roger, Roger Rabbit, like you know, films and books that take this genre and really infuse it with another that meld different genres essentially, right. and uh, that take you know turn it into something new almost. Now something that you said earlier, and I don't know if it was a slip of the tongue or if you're just subtly sliding it in. You said <laughs> the work on the first book is this the beginning of something? Um, you know, I, I was just talking this over with my editor yesterday. We're trying to work, work out the language, but, um, there, you know, I am about to dive in on, on, an edit for another book. Um, I won't give any plot details away, but it, there is another book coming, um, with a bit of a larger narrative scope, I'll say. Um, and that's all I'll say or else I'll be blacklisted by my publisher. So <laughs> is it, can you say, is it in this same universe or is, or is it just a, another book that you're working on? Um, I'd say probably related. Related, okay. Not necessarily it's equal, but all right, okay. <laughs> uh, and I wanted to ask you, what was the music you were playing? What film was that from in the beginning? It actually wasn't. That's that's out of a music library that we get from a, a website called Storyblocks. So we pull okay. we pull various different things, and I try to I try to pull stuff uh, sound alikes if I'm going for a particular tone. So um, set the stage very nicely. Oh, thank you. And and I got to say, you know, uh, I wouldn't you popped up on my radar uh, over on LinkedIn. Paul DeGarabidian, who has been on the show, uh, he mentioned something. He posted something over on there about the, the book. And so I was like, well, hey, we're going to take take a look and, and check this out. Is there anything that you weren't able to do with the book that you wanted to, but it just didn't fit. I mean, did you, every author has the, you know, kill your darlings moment, 
you know, you go through with your editors and you just get really ruthless and do the whole slash and burn. Is is this book, the finished product, any any resemblance to the original idea that you had? It's a well to quote your opening. That's a great question. <laughs> um, yeah, I, it's it's wildly different. Um, and I can't go into too much detail because it, it involves the ending, but basically the whole third act, you know, denouement climax was overhauled in favor of a little more of a believable grounded um, sort of ending. And, and you haven't gotten there either. So I wouldn't want to spoil it for you as well, but um, I can just say the original um, took place at an amusement park at Santa Monica pier. Um, and that ended up, we ended up kind of cutting that. It got a little too unwieldy and, and my editors uh, wisely uh, advised me to kind of bring it back a little. And, and, I, and I am very happy with the way it ended up, um, you know, and you can, I can always use those uh, axed ideas for future books and whatnot. So, um, you know, if you have me on again, we can go into detail about what changed because there were several. Absolutely. Well, uh, uh, you mentioned because with all of the all of the different people that are actually real people that are in this thing. I'm I'm going through and in my imagination I'm starting to populate uh, various different characters with different actors from that time period and one in particular kind of popped out at me uh, the the lawyer uh, in a particular scene because because Baker gets some stuff and and there's a lawyer in a scene and I couldn't help but notice <clears throat> in my head popped in an actor named S.Z. Zakal. I don't know if you're familiar with him. He played the uncle in Christmas in Connecticut. Everything is hunky-dunky. He's, he's, uh, I want to say he's Hungarian. Um, but he's been, in a very, he's been in a number of different movies from, you know, in the 30s and 40s. He's generally the comic relief. Uh, but he's that, you know, he's portly and older and, you know, the, the the kind old uncle that makes the jokes and you know breaks the ice and and the tension and stuff, but I think you could also put Sidney Greenstreet in that. That's exactly who who he was based on. Okay, all right. So I'm starting I'm starting to get an idea that some of these characters are actually based on people from that time period, but not necessarily are that people that those people. Right, and it ma- it, it makes me so happy to hear you say that because that was exactly the intention. Um, like it was, you know, some of the, even the real world figures are not exactly based on who they were. They're more pastiches of sort of, you know, like the, um, John Houston's wife, for instance, is more, is more of like a Lauren Bacall type. Right. Um, not exactly based like beat to beat for who she was in real life. Um, so it just, I'm glad that that tracks with a reader like you, because that was, that was the intention just to kind of base it on these golden age stars. And, um, I, I do have one question about one particular character, Marilyn Monroe or Lana Turner. Um, for, well, I don't want to give it away. She shows up, she shows up later in the book. Oh, um, you know, I probably more of, um, Mary Astor in, in, if, if I, if, if I know who you're talking about, I'd say more Mary Astor in Maltese okay. Falcon. Okay. All right. Cause you know, you, you want to, you want to make sure that you get the cast right. 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 Exactly. And it's, and just going back to what you said about, um, the historical figures and you looking them up and, and you said like jump into the internet like that is that was also the intention it was uh you know for people who are who know history are going to be like oh that's cool that that this person um is here or you know if they don't know it's still you know it's still interesting if they go and look it up or they don't even you know it, it's it's um there's little it's some, there's something for everyone here yeah now the you mentioned people looking things up in the history in recent years in the last oh i don't know 15 20 years or so it's come out that uh, McCarthy was maybe not necessarily as off base with his suspicions as people originally thought. History likes to paint him as this paranoid, delusional maniac, and he might have gotten some of the names wrong on the people he suspected, but as it turns out, from things like the Venona Papers and and different uh, documents that have surfaced over the last 20 or 30 years— he was right. 
to a certain extent. I mean, there were communist and Soviet sympathizers in the, the U.S. government. I mean, the State Department was riddled with them. Some people may suspect that that's still the case. I, I, don't, I can't speak to that. But it, when, when people look up Joseph McCarthy, uh, it's it's one of those he's either reviled and hated or he's misunderstood and everybody got everything wrong about him. Are, are you in any particular camp? I mean, I know from the time period, 58, McCarthy is an easy one to sit there and slot into that position for the function of what he does. Right. But was there a particular reason to bring in McCarthy? I mean, just, yeah, like you said, it's, it's very, uh, it's just very functional. Uh, you know, that is kind of his legacy. Um, even though he, you know, even if he has been vindicated, uh, over the decades, but you know, just when you hear McCarthyism or you hear Red Scare, your mind immediately goes to Joseph McCarthy and, and, and the HUAC hearings and yeah. the Hollywood blacklist. Like, it's just so, I mean, you know, I don't really fall into a, a particular camp, but you know, it's just, it's just the way, you know, we are as people, you know, somebody is associated with something and that that is their legacy. And, you know, it's just so instantly recognizable when you hear his name. All right. You mentioned HUAC. That brings up my one quibble. And I will get to that after we take the break. We're going to be uh, doing this real quick thing. So Google knows where to stick the, the ads to interrupt us. And uh, we will be right back with more Josh, Josh Weiss. Josh Weiss. I've had my coffee this morning. We will be back right after this. Stand by. You're listening to Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Until you unsubscribe in a sudden but inevitable betrayal. That's a really good question. <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. That's a good question. That's a good question. But that's a really good question. That's a great question. When you need to know, count on Sci-Fi For Me to be there asking all of the questions. That's been the question I've been asking myself quite a lot. That's a tough question. This is a rough question. That is a that that is a deep question. Bringing you news and opinion from all over the web. Sci-Fi For Me, delivering the multiverse since 2009. Live from the bunker, Monday through Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern, only on Sci-Fi for Me TV. There's always one spot where I don't hit the right button. Back live from the bunker. Welcome, everyone. We are talking with author Josh Wise about his new book, Beat the Devils, a crime thriller noir set in an alternate United States, 1958, President Joseph McCarthy. And uh, we're talking about historical context here. And you mentioned HUAC, the House Un-Americans Activities Committee. And my one quibble about the book it is my 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 civics class in high school rearing its ugly head and and having a having a separation of powers complaint <laughs> not necessarily a complaint uh, this is one of those things where I kind of went hang on because there is a, a law enforcement agency in this book uh, that's part of HUAC. And that's my one, like I said, it's a quibble, it's a small thing, but I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, okay, Secret Service is, is Department of Treasury. You've got FBI, CIA, uh, DEA, uh, uh, ATF, all of these different uh, law enforcement agencies. They all funder, uh, fall under Department of Justice or Homeland Security or, or that sort of thing which are all executive branch. And the House Un-American Activities Committee was the legislative branch. And I think the legislative branch doesn't have law enforcement police powers. How does this work? And I haven't seen anything that addresses that yet. So is that just creative license on your part? Yeah, I mean, that's a great point. Um, I'll, I'll just say it was intentional. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, it's it's... It's again. It's a good question and it's a good point. Uh, I mean, it's kind of just like, you know, um, he was in. 
uh, McCarthy was a uh, was a senator. So, you know, and he that was kind of his uh, his baby a bit. And he kind of just took the name when he became president and um, and kind of, you know, despite it not being part of the executive branch, I just, you know, it's just kind of, again, this whole world is kind of so topsy turvy and so over the top that like a lot of this stuff um, is intentionally meant to be like so ridiculous. And, and um, you know, it's funny, like going back to what you said about, you know, McCarthy's legacy and, and being kind of vindicated over the years, um, you know, it kind of ties back into the book, like, you know, you even have you even have like a shred of communism associated with you. That's it. Your, your name is mud. Yeah. So it, it, it kind of goes both ways. Like, you know, even if McCarthy was right, his methods were a little extreme and, um, sure. you know, and, and that's kind of what he's been associated with. So it's a two way street. Um, and I just thought, I don't know, like Huey, like I was thinking, um, I'm also like a big, uh, I love to learn about the Vietnam War and I love that the helicopters they use were called Huey. So that was kind of just in the back of my head. And kind of the div- divergent point of this book is the Korean War dragging on. It's kind of like the Vietnam of this universe, which is why McCarthy was able to uh, to gain power gotcha. uh, to the White House. So it was kind of just a little allusion to that. So um, that 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 raises the question then in terms of parallels about uh you know people making assumptions based on one or two things that could or could not be true uh cancel culture is very much like that these days i mean let's pop up this tweet from 10 years ago let's uh let's look at this interview clip you know this clip from this interview that you did five years ago this thing that you said at this award ceremony you know, we we've we've hailed you as a hero, and now two days later, we're going to drag you through the mud because you said the wrong thing. And right. and there really does feel like we're in this, like you say, topsy turvy 1984 world where you know anything you say can and will be used against you by the people who were supporting you not 24 hours ago. Right. Have you, because you have interviewed people, you've you've written articles for various different publications that are that are not, you know, they're not low on the totem pole publications. I mean, you've contributed to Forbes and, and other things like that. Have you run across situations where you have to maybe take a second look at something and say, hang on, this isn't right. This doesn't, this doesn't feel right. This is, you know, this shouldn't be happening to this particular person. This person didn't say anything, you know, something that's taken out of context. What have you observed as a journalist that maybe caused some concern for you, you know, going forward in your career, not necessarily about you getting canceled, but the culture in general? Yeah, I mean, it's such a hot button issue. Um, and, you know, in a way, it does very much feel like that. Um, and, you know, I mean, there, you know, as a, as a journalist, you, you sometimes are, you know, told by an editor, you know, oh, like, you know, don't make a mention of this person or, um, you know, you know, if you're if you're recently was um, working on something and, and an editor told me to, you know, since this person's history is a little, you know, questionable, let's leave this off the list or something. So it's, you know, it's, it's very all relative. Um, you know, I don't really, I, I don't claim to be an expert on it and, and I wouldn't want to put my foot in my mouth by saying anything, you know, sure. And that, I wouldn't that, want to get you in trouble for, for yeah. anything you know, in, in the future stuff. But, you know, we were talking, I was talking yesterday about, uh, Esquire magazine putting out this uh, new list of the 50 best fantasy novels of all time. That's the that's the headline, but it's qualified because the guy who wrote it is is pulling in books from you know 1999 and and later for the most part. He's got a couple of things on there from you know Tolkien and C.S. Lewis, but he's he's deliberately uh, culled his data set as it were. Uh, for authors that are still alive and authors that are modern day era type of books as opposed to of all time like he says in the headline and i noticed in that in that set of 50 jk rowling's work is completely gone and i know a lot of people want to want to acknowledge harry potter but not jk rowling and i'm like where where how have we gotten to the point where this is this is where we are. I mean, this is you know, it's, it's just like 
not well, not just like what was going on with the Red Scare uh, and everything like that, but this whole guilt by association, just the thing that you say gets you erased. Mm-hmm. You're you're young. Uh, the your generation or the future leaders of the world. How do how do we get out of this? I mean, just, I'm gonna put you on the spot right there. Just, just fix everything right now. <laughs> right. Well, well it's, it's, I, this is not. You know, this has been said many times. I think it's just um, we need to learn to accept people that people can grow. And if you know, if you can apologize for something horrendous that you said or did, um, and really mean it, and, and grow from that, I think people should be allowed to be forgiven. Um, now, that's a very nuanced topic. I'm not gonna. You know, not I sure. can't. <laughs> that's not like a fix-all solution, <laughs> but I think people, you know, it, you know, depending on the case, people can be forgiven if if, if they really are repentant and, um, you know, and it, there's also the question of can you separate the art from the artist? You know, in the case of someone like J.K. Rowling, like I'm a big Harry Potter fan, but, um, you know, people are uh, she has said some questionable things, so it's it's really you know, uh, it's really you know, yeah, like I said separate is it possible to separate the art from the artist i think you know be, once you put it out into the world it becomes it's not only yours anymore it's the public's and i think it you know it's it, it shouldn't be ruined just because this one person um you know says or does bad things but right. um but yeah now that's my pivoting off of that in your story given the time period there are a number of characters who act and say things in a way that a lot of people are going to look at this and they go, well, that's racist. That's racist. That's racist. That's racist. These, these are who the characters are. This is not necessarily, I mean, it, it seems almost an exaggeration of who we were as a society back then. Was that a conscious decision on your part to, to lean heavily into that? Not just the anti-Semitism, but every, everything. Yeah, I mean, I feel like, you know, in this society, it's it's almost, um, I like to say this book is kind of taking the noir touchstones, like, you know, cor- you know, we know about corruption among the police or shady land deals down at City Hall, but what happens when everyone from the president on down is, is a horrible person, they're corrupt, they're bigoted, they're racist. Um, and that, you know, that is, it was an intentional choice. You know, this is a very, this is a dystopian world where hatred is celebrated and bigotry is celebrated. Obviously, it doesn't reflect my own views. I, you know, I come from um, like I said, my grandfather was a Holocaust survivor. So it was really kind of like, okay, what if, um, you know, not that we were a pristine society in the, in the, in our timeline, but you know, what if that Nazi esque culture of, you know, uh, the other, the other groups that are, that are lesser than us, um, you know, came to America and was up, you know, amped up to the 11th degree. Did you have an opportunity to talk to your grandfather or are there any of the rest of your family about this idea before you dove into it? Were you, or did you, did you get any, any pushback from them at all or you know, any concerns raised from, from family? No, I mean, my grandfather, uh, we were never close, never really knew him all that well. It was really my dad who would, who would relate his stories. Um, so I never really spoke to my grandfather, unfortunately. And once I was old enough to, you know, kind of have the wherewithal to try and reach out and have some sort of relationship, he had passed. So, um, I didn't, you know, my father is, um, who really planted the seed is, is, you know, is in support of this idea. And uh, hi, Dad. He's watching right now. <laughs> also give a shout out to Liam and Neil. Promised them last night. I give them a little shout out if they're okay. watching. Well, it's good, to, it's good that they're here and we're glad uh, we're glad they they've found the show. What's next for you? I mean, you know, you're, uh, you said you're, t- you're working on another book that might or might not be related. What else are you working on? I mean, you're, you're, you've pretty much got an open door here at this point. Yeah. Um, you know, always thinking of, I mean, obviously I'm very busy with my, my entertainment publications. Um, and so that takes up a lot of my time. But, um, you know, I have a Google Doc, 50 pages plus of just book ideas, book novellas, short stories. So, um, you know, once this other book is done, I'd love to, you know, talk with my agent about uh, what might be next and, and see what uh, see what he's digging. Because there are some ideas I'm very excited about. Any particular genre you definitely want to dive into or you're staying in the, the crime thriller type of, of story? Um, I wouldn't say it's the two ideas that I'm most excited about are historical, not exactly 
thrillers necessarily, but set within time periods with a little bit of a genre twist. Okay. All right. So, so no sword and sorcery Conan type stuff for you anytime soon. Not yet. <laughs> um, but if I did, it would be sort of like Stephen King, I have a dragon sort of deal. Like not, not like George R. R. Martin, a little more, um, again, genre. I love melding yeah. genres together. Is, do you think being as young as you are, do you think there's anything to the criticism that, uh, millennials, and, and this is this is painting with a broad brush, and I don't necessarily hold to this 100%. History for millennials starts the year they were born. And there's not necessarily a limited appreciation for what came before, but you've obviously uh, spent time looking at history, looking at things that happened much longer ago than than you've been around is that something that you think uh your generation could benefit from a little bit more this perspective of history being a teacher if we don't learn from history we're doomed to repeat it type of thing is that yeah i mean i it could just be said for any i mean look at who's running uh, i won't say his name but look at who's running russia and look how well it turned out for <laughs> another uh, dictator who invaded another country right 70, 80 years ago, it could be said for anyone. And um, like, you know, again, I, uh, like um, this is not my own uh, uh, quote, but, you know, if you don't know history, you're doomed to repeat it. And um, I think that that goes for anyone. I think as just as a, as a Jewish person, we are big on tradition. We're big on recounting stories of, of the horrible things that, uh, that have happened to us. You know, it's, it's, a, it's we often joke, you know, uh, Jewish holidays are summed up in, you know, they tried to kill us. We won. Let's eat. <laughs> uh, so yeah that's yep. it's it's we're very much focused on our history and i think you know just growing up um you know with the two words never again in, in my home and, and at school um that was just always a big thing for me um just looking back and seeing what's being done before but yeah i wouldn't i wouldn't say it say anybody could be could be uh could use a lesson in what's yeah. happened before how important is it for that to inform the kind of work that you do i mean in in your bio for the you know the little write-up here for the book uh it talks about you having this interest in the convergence of judaism with science fiction and popular culture tv comics and and movies and such is that something that you really want to dive into uh just to just as as something to distinguish your work or because it's you know this is who you are this is what you want to make sure that this is part of your stories that you tell yeah i mean it's it, that's a great again great question um you know it's it, they say write what you know and this is what i know i, I was raised orthodox and uh, observant um so all this tradition that that we jews have um is just fascinating to me and to see it it's so obscure and idiosyncratic to, so to see it represented in media um, just always makes me giddy because we're such a small portion segment of the population. Um, so when it's out there for a wide audience, I think that's really cool. And it, and it, you know, helps always helps bring us closer together as people. Is there anything in your faith that trips you up let's say, on some of the different stories you might want to tell, and you said they're going, nah, probably shouldn't. Um, you know, I, don't, I don't think so. I mean, I guess it really depends. I haven't really come across anything like that, but I think it's such like, there are just so many cool traditions. Like um, there was a the film that came out last year called The Vigil, and it was about, it was basically like a demon horror film, but right. set in the Jewish community. So it's just like there are so many things that are applicable to, you know, the genres that we know that can be tied into Judaism that just haven't been plumbed before. I think I want to say we reviewed that. Ms. Mrs. Boss, could you take a look real quick? Because I think we did do uh, something on the vigil uh, when that came out. I, I know at least we reported on it. I'm not sure. I, I want to say that Christopher might have written a review for it, but I'm not sure. If there is, we'll put it in link. Um I'm trying to I'm trying to think because you've you've answered so many questions so well. I'm I, I'm not looking for something to trip you up, but I'm just like, where do I go from here? Uh, okay, so 
as a matter of faith, when uh, when you look at the pop culture and the television and the and the films and the movies and the books and and comics and whatnot, not necessarily the sense of representation, the question of representation. But the kinds of stories that are being told, we hear a lot of complaints lately about too much, too much politics in our stories, too much, too much preaching in our in our comic books, too you know, too much message fiction. Just tell me a good, rip roaring, entertaining story. Have you noticed that uh, anything that's particularly bothersome that you're like, oh well, I don't want to tell a story like that. I mean, you know, well, just to just to kind of um, reframe the question a little bit, like when when I was waiting to get onto this call, it said you were now about to cross over into the Twilight Zone, which is my <laughs> happened to me. The original iteration has to be my favorite show of all time. Um, and, you know, we remember it for those great twists and, and sci fi stories. But those were political. Rod Serling was making points about, you know, it's it, people say that in the time, you know, oh, this has too much politics. Right. This is, you know, this is offensive to me or, you know, too woke, quote unquote, but it's always been like that. And that, like I said earlier in our conversation, that sci-fi and and, uh, and fantasy and all that is, is a way to look up, uh, hold the mirror up to society. So it's... Sure. But to, but to, to turn that back around, is there, uh, is there a point where it becomes too much? It becomes too over the top and too overt and in your face and preachy and... Let's hit your head on you know with the two by four message message as opposed to story with subtext because you know uh, William Shatner got into this when they were talking about you know Star Trek's always been political. He's yeah. like, well, Star Trek talked about social issues. You know, racism is not necessarily a thing about political party. It's about you know humanity and and, and right. so you've got these matters of degree where you can address those things. And yes, uh, science fiction gives us a great. A venue to to do that self-reflection and examination and such but it seems to me that there are times when you can when you can overdo it a little yeah. are you are you cognizant in your own storytelling or, or even in your your journalism do you watch out for that kind of thing in your own work do you ever uh, do you ever find that you have to pull back a little bit um, you know, I wouldn't, I don't know if I have, I, I guess it would be an unconscious thing. I mean, it's always, you know, the mark of a good storyteller and not, not saying that I am one, but is nuance and, you know, finesse and, and being able to juggle things. And, you know, it takes a good, uh, a talented person to, um, juggle, you know, like you say, subtext, like you mm -hmm. don't, you don't want to bash your audience over the head with a sledgehammer. I mean, in some cases it, it's intentional, but, um, you know, personally, I would say there was something recently. I'm trying to. I'm racking my brain. There was something recently that I know was like very thematically heavy-handed, but I can't. I can't recall what it was. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'd say it's. It's you know, sometimes it's intentional and it works. Sometimes it's unintentional and it or intentional and it doesn't work. And and everything in between. It's 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 spectrum and um, yeah, nuance is is the key. Yeah. Yeah. Some uh, some of your favorite authors. Who do who do you look for uh, influence? Yeah, I mean, so I mentioned a few already during the during this call. Michael Chapon, Robert Harris, Alan Moore, Philip Roth was a big influence. Plot Against America was was a huge inspiration for this book. Um, I'm trying to think who else. Uh, Stephen King, obviously, but who doesn't love Stephen King? Um, H.P. <laughs> Lovecraft. Uh, I'm trying to think. I, I recently put a put a list together of like all my favorites, but yeah, just all these all these authors, particularly in the um, in the alternate history genre and historical crime genre. And, um, you know, if, as, if, if there's something Jewish in any piece of media, I'm, I'm immediately hooked. So now are you, are you specifically looking for, uh, Jewish themes in, in stories? You, you say you're drawn to that. You're, you're immediately hooked. Are you actively looking for those kinds of stories or does it just happen? You find those and that's the ones you latch on to. Yeah, I mean, it's they really it, they kind of just pop up every now and again um, because you know, like I said, it, it, you don't often see Judaism or its idiosyncrasies uh, represented that much. So when something does come along, it, it obviously you know sends up a flare, um, and you know it's yeah, it's 
Yeah. <laughs> nothing, nothing else to add on that. All right. All right. Uh, Josh, we will, uh, we will put links in to both your Twitter account and your Instagram account because uh, we've got those uh, here where people can find you. And the book is out on the 22nd, right? Yep. It is called Beat the Devils, possibly one of a series, maybe. We'll see. We're not going to make that claim, but, you know. You we'll never give the know. Jewish shrug, you know. Who knows? <laughs> who knows? Who knows? <laughs> uh, oh, that, that, the, the Yiddish in the book, is that, did you have to look that up or does your family speak it? Uh, so my grandmother's, my 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 mother's parents and my dad's dad spoke it. Um, never really to me that much. A lot of it was research. Uh, you know, a lot of it is you know knowing the curses, obviously, because right. You know, knowing a curse in any language is, is very easy to come by. Um, first, but, first thing you learn, right? Right. Um, but you know, just going back to Michael Chabon again, like his book was his book takes place. It's obviously written in English, but it takes place in an all Yiddish speaking uh, town. In, in modern America, and I just thought that was genius. So just trying to infuse a little bit of that uh, into the main character and a little bit of that wit and Jewish Jewish comedy. You know, one of my favorite lines is his partner goes, what do you know about comedy? And he says, I'm pretty sure my people invented it. <laughs> so, you know. All right. Well, Josh, good luck with the book. Uh, thanks very much for taking the time to talk with us again. And, and, and the next thing you got coming out, uh, we'll definitely have you back, and and who knows? Maybe we'll put you on a panel sometime to talk about uh, the Batman or Star Wars or something. We'll. we'll I would love to. That. Thank you for having me, Jason. I just want to plug real quick. I yeah. will. There will be a virtual launch on the twenty second. This coming Tuesday, at Main Point Books in Wayne, PA. You can sign up for, for free online, um, and uh, and then the next day on Wednesday, I'll be at the Barnes and Noble in Cherry Hill on Haddonfield Road. If you're in the area. Okay. All right. Uh, if you want to, if you want to send me the link to the virtual one, we'll add that to the to the show notes, uh, so people can find you there, and we'll see what happens. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again. It was a great conversation and great questions, and just an honor. Thank you. All right. Thanks very much, and thanks to all of you for being here and uh, watching and listening. And uh, you can find us, of course, on. So many different social media channels. We probably have bitten off more than we can chew. Four different video platforms. There's a newsletter you can sign up for if you would like to uh, support us financially. There's a tip jar there, PayPal, and Subscribestar and all that. And that's going to do it for us today. Mark your calendars. March 23rd, next Wednesday, is our 13th anniversary. And we're planning some stuff. I know not what yet. Uh, but we're going to be doing some th stuff on there uh, all day to tr to uh, celebrate that. And uh, don't forget, coming up this weekend, Good Morning Multiverse at 11 a.m. Eastern with the week's headlines in science fiction, fantasy, horror, video games, comic books, Comic-Con updates. We'll have the latest uh, masking and vaccination policies as well as schedule changes and weather forecast all of that stuff coming up on saturday so join us for that if you are brand new to the channel we do invite you to subscribe have your notifications turned on feel free to share this or any of the rest of the videos that we've got here and remember there are four lights this has been a presentation of sci-fi for me radio copyright 2022 by flaming dog media llc all rights reserved no portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of flaming dog media